0: You're listening to Red Ten Sisters, a podcast providing expert sisterly advice on women's most pressing reproductive and sexual health questions. This week on the podcast, we're speaking to Megan Telpner of Megan Telpner, Inc., and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, about tips for living an awesome life. We'll be talking about reducing stress, turning around so-called incurable diseases, and achieving your wildest dreams while having a lot of fun in the process. Megan? Hi. Thanks for being with us. I'm so excited to speak with you about these topics today. Me too. Mm -hmm. So let's just jump right in. One of the things that's so amazing is that you have kind of managed to cure the incurable. I know you were originally diagnosed with Crohn's disease and today you're living symptom-free. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey and kind of how you got to where
1: you are now? Yeah, so I I don't know of a lot of people who end up in the field of of health of any kind, whether it's you know female reproductive health or <laughs> or overall health, whatever it is, without having their own maybe crisis. Um, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's what happened to me. So I had this was definitely not the path that I had expected. I I went to fashion school and I was working in advertising, and over the the span of about six years, I just started getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Not realizing, you know, that there was maybe something wrong or what was wrong. Um, and, and finally, yeah, in the summer of 2006, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And the conventional treatment is surgery or medication to manage the symptoms, but they still believe that there is no known cure. And you're like, I don't even have my ears pierced. So I didn't right. want to, have, <laughs> I didn't want the first course of action to be a scalpel into my intestines. And, <laughs> And so, you know, my doctor had said to me, that, you know there's nothing you can do, and I didn't believe him; he didn't look particularly healthy to me, and so I just started adventuring in my kitchen and mm-hmm. going to farmers' markets and learning about food and learning about nutrients and nutrients that could potentially help and heal um tissue, which is what Crohn's is it's an inflammation of the tissue and food mm-hmm. that could potentially make it worse and I essentially had a list of the things I would eat and the things I wouldn't eat, and what ended up on the good list was Whole, unprocessed food uh, cooked Dang. from scratch in my kitchen. Big and, doctor, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And I also <laughs> at the time gave up my gym membership. Like I was so type A. I worked out with a trainer at 4.30 in the morning and then would do my grocery shopping before I went to work. And so I gave up all oh, of that, started going to <laughs> yoga, um, started going to acupuncture. And then within a month, um, I was symptom-free and wanted to like scream it from the rooftops. And yeah. that was what inspired me to go back and start studying nutrition and and sort of formulate what I had done, and that's how sort of my undiet philosophy came about. That it was about you know breaking all the rules and and forgetting all the things we're told by the quote unquote experts, and and really tuning into our own body and doing what really feels good, both short term mm-hmm. and long term. And that's really what's inspired all of the work that I do, from you know my books and my blogs and my videos and my, now my school. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love that story
0: because, um, you know, in the work that I do, I, I see so many women coming to me with kind of similar stories, you know, things like polycystic ovarian syndrome and these kinds of reproductive issues where There really is kind of no known cure, and and women often come um, to work with me because they're so frustrated about being told that. And and the answer usually lies very similar to your story, you know, like changing your diet, like changing your stress levels, like all of these things, and you know, managing blood sugar. And there's just it's amazing how
1: far those changes can go. Yeah, what's so amazing to me is. Mm -hmm when I was going through and people were like, God, that seems so extreme. That seems so drastic. And, and mm-hmm. like, how is not eating bread drastic? But <laughs> like having a bag outside my body that collects my poo is standard of care. <laughs> like It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and uh, that example I was giving about the polycystic ovarian syndrome, but there's so many other reproductive health issues. And, you know, one of the first things that I have to sort of educate a lot of my clients about is the role of stress and and how that impacts our hormones and, and how that kind of whacks up the whole system. <laughs> So I'm really curious to hear because I know you have some great stress reduction tips and you did a lot of things in this kind of journey of yours. Like, can you share with our listeners some of the things that you do to kind of manage stress and and, and all the wonderful things that come from kind of reducing Mm -hmm. our cortisol and all that?
1: Yeah, so the stress is the biggest hazard to our health of all. And and I would say, mm-hmm. like, you're eating a salad and you're angry, it's not going to heal you. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. no amount of good food and good yoga and, you know, a lot of yoga is really just calisthenics. It's just moving around yeah. in a slower way. But we're still, like, bringing all our mental crap to yoga and, and as such, turning our yoga into complete crap. So I think that so much of it has to come from our mind and our thoughts and learning how to um not attach so much emotion to the situations that we create in our own minds. And you know, some experts, various studies will say anything from 80 to 95% of the thoughts we have Are simply stressful thoughts that aren't really even based in reality, and they're fears of what might happen or thoughts about what has already happened. But essentially, they're things we have no control over and cannot change. So they become like this, this like energy vacuum that sucks our soul, (laughs) and we've got nothing left except to fuel and run on the hormones produced in our own body, our adrenaline and our cortisol. And when our adrenaline and cortisol are elevated, we are further and, like, more sensitized to little stresses that become big deals because we don't have the capacity to handle them. But also, you know, that will also increase our sugar cravings and get us on that cycle that will lead us to conditions of inflammation and conditions of increased, you know, belly fat or conditions of fertility issues and low libido, mm-hmm. and it all becomes completely connected. And so the first thing we have to do is acknowledge our responsibility for it. Because I think what mm-hmm. happens when po- a lot of people feel stressed is they're like, oh, my work is so stressful, my job is so stressful, my boss is terrible, my kids are stressing me out. Well, those are the facts of your life. And unless you're going to change them, unless you're going to leave everybody and go sit on a beach and make coconut shell bikinis, you have to learn <laughs> how to how to manage your life. And so it has nothing to do with anybody else. You know, we can blame everything in the world, but that's not going to change how we are responding to it. So Mm -hmm. the first step in bringing down our stress is owning what we're feeling and owning the thoughts we're thinking and then finding those strategies to help, you know, reorganize them so that they work for us. And that's where the practices like, you know, I think acupuncture works you know a lot of it is breaking down energy barriers and and chi and, and obviously you know Chinese medicine is a long standing tradition, but part of it too is that you 're forced to lie down for an hour and you can 't move because you 're a human pincushion and that yeah. is a huge <laughs> healing benefit now. I remember when I used to do yoga um, when I first started was at the gym, and everyone would get up and leave before shavasana because you 're lying there, not doing anything and that 's obviously not helpful in the way we think right. about life right now, but so we have to you know have those moments in our day where we have quiet, and that's where meditation comes in, and and just breathing. Even if you take five really deep breaths from your belly, and that just brings you into the present moment, and, and that helps to reorganize and, and reframe your thoughts and bring you into, into right now. And because right now, you and me, we're talking, we're having conversation, everything's fine. But if I start thinking about, like, okay, what am I going to do when I get off the phone, and where do I have to go next, and where's this meeting, and am I going to get there in time? And all of that just creates a stress that right now there's nothing I need to worry about. There's nothing I need to, to give attention to over there because this is where I am right now. And, and so there's these patterns that we stick to, and there's these habits we have that will perpetuate stress. Or we can start to cultivate the habits that break down and dissolve that stress, sort of untangle those knots. Absolutely.
0: And I know that for you,
1: one of a big one is
0: meditation. And, you know, I've had a long time meditation practice, but because of you, I was put on to Vedic meditation. One of the things that I've really loved about that is that, like, you're really supposed to commit to twice a day, 20 minutes, and, and just having that knowledge that, like, you know, that this is a commitment that I've made to myself and to, you know, in a, in a sense to the yeah. community and to the legacy um has been really important for me just in making sure I actually do it because it makes such a big difference. And I notice on the days where, you know, I get busy or I forget or whatever that my mood and my thoughts just start going down <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> really slippery slope, you know. So
1: It affects, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I was just going to say I would love it if you could tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, your experiences with meditation and, you know, what kind of brought you to Vedic meditation in particular and whether you whether you see a big difference um, in, in between that and other forms. I know a lot of people practice mindfulness um, mm-hmm. and whether you think it really matters or whether it's just the commitment to actually doing it. <laughs>
1: I think there, it's it's all of the above. So I came to Vedic meditation when I was when I was sick and I was in L.A. I was living in California and there it's like like I went there thinking this this place was a bit of a joke and <laughs> you can't help but get like it lives up to his reputation. You can't help but get sucked in and I loved it. And I was going to mm-hmm. these yoga classes and my yoga teacher one day said um, said you know my my meditation teacher is coming to town. If you want to take your life to the next level you got to come here and speak. And I was just like, you know what? My life sucked at that point. Like I was 26 Mm -hmm. and so sick and terrified and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I was like, I will take my life anywhere, but here. And so I was just Mm -hmm. so open to everything. And I went and was just kind of blown away at the thought that, and this was like my very first encounter with the idea that you could, live a life without a knot in your stomach, that you could, you know, ha- wake up feeling happy and feel joyful and celebrate other people's happiness and, you know, avoid gossip and avoid negative words in your vocabulary because it was all so new to me. And I was like, whoa, like you can actually be happy. That's amazing. And so I started practicing. Um, and, yeah, it was it was twice a day for 20 minutes, and I was – religious, adamant about that practice. And and one of the things my teacher said is, like, well, you can stop. But, like, it was almost like I dare you to. I dare you to stop and <laughs> see what comes back into your life. See if that old way of living is still working for you. And right. and so I was, and that was, uh, gosh, eight and, eight, eight and a half years ago. Time flies. Um, mm-hmm. And so I have been meditating consistently since then. my practice has changed um, because at some point, you know, and that's the thing. Like mindfulness will work for some people. Vedic meditation will work for some people. Simply breathing will work for some people. You have to find the practice that fits into your life and then make your life fit into the practice. And you have to commit equally on both sides so that you maintain that practice. Mm-hmm. And I still meditate every single day. I don't always do the afternoon practice just because of the way my work is but when I get home we always take 10 minutes before we have dinner just to sit and regroup and, and that is a practice that is sustainable for me and works and mm. this just this past weekend we had to go to um I was doing this this thermogram you know uh, uh non-invasive non-radioactive uh Essentially, a body screening. It's sort of this, this work I'm mm. doing with another with another small business in Toronto, and yep. uh, and one of the things they said was you can't go into the sauna, you can't take a bath, you can't do yoga, and you can't meditate for 24 hours. And I was like, all of the other things, what? like okay, <laughs> I don't want to not have to exercise for 24 hours or you know not get my body yeah. rate heart rate up, but I was like. I don't know how can I – the point was until 1 in the afternoon. I'm like, I don't know how I can get through the first part of a Saturday. That's like my wind-down time in the morning Uh without meditating. But what she said was that it's because it has such a profound effect on your metabolism and your heart rate and your core body temperature that for the purposes of thermography, the thermogram, you can't affect that. And it just sort of reminded me of of the influence that meditation can have on not just your psycho-spiritual-emotional well-being, but on your, you know, it has physiological healing benefits. Um, You know, it's all all one in the same system. Um, But, yeah, the best practice is everyone needs to have a practice, and, like, I'm adamant about that, that we all need to find our practice. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no one-size-fits-all. I personally um gravitate towards mantra based or vedic meditation over mindfulness because my mind is so full and so rapid. You know, I think people who work in the creative field or are are sort of creative or writers, like I'm always composing and thinking um, that mindfulness for me doesn't do what I need it to do. It allows me to observe my thoughts, and I'm like, man, I'm having a lot of them. <laughs> Versus yeah. With Vedic, it, it's sort of like a self-hypnosis. It kind of just calms you down, and what I find with that is it opens up my mind to – Fresh new concepts, and it's almost you know you and I know the language. It's like this download from the universe of knowledge, that you're yeah. like, "Wow, how do I even know that but that's that's what it does for me, and I feel like it helps me stay really in tune and um cued up to my own intuition and my instincts really effectively, so that's mm-hmm. what works for me, but of course, everyone has to experiment and find their own practice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm very similar in in, in that sense, that, and I think that's why Vedic Meditation has also been a really good fit for me. It's just it really gives you an anchor point, you know, and that's, you know, for those of us who are just constantly off in our, you know, thoughts and creating and kind of all over the place, um, you know, it's really nice to have an anchor to just kind of bring you down and, yeah. and, um, and into a still place,
1: you know. Yeah, I don't even so, think it's like yeah. I, it goes beyond – I think it goes beyond like just being a nice thing. It's a tool that can change your life. It can revolutionize. Your relationships and the work you do, and how you interact with other human beings, which is the most important interaction we have, and oh, maybe one step above that is how we interact with ourselves. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm coaching this, <laughs> I, I run this awesome life detox, and one of the things is on relationships. And everyone thinks it's going to be about like, oh, how do I better communicate with my partner? But if we can't communicate with ourselves first, um, <laughs> we we can't expect someone else to understand us if we don't even know what we're after. Yeah, absolutely. I know Kim gets that a lot with her sexuality
0: clients. It's like, well, my partner is not really doing things I want them to do, or I can't, you know, have an orgasm with my partner. And it's like, well, you know, what do you like? How, yeah, how can you have an orgasm by yourself? And then you find out that most women don't actually know what they like. Yeah. It's like, well, your part, first of all, your partner's not a mind reader, but they also just can't read your mind if you don't even know what you want, right? Yeah. So that's step one exactly. Is to get to know yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that Kim had specifically asked me to ask you was, (laughs) uh, with regards to meditation, is, you know, it's kind of a twofold question, and I don't even know if it's a question, it's more just kind of an observation I, I think for her, meditation has always seemed kind of scary and I think that's, you know, for two reasons. So one is that it definitely seems kind of like attached to that whole culture of yoga and like everything you were talking about with California, you know, just like that culture. And if, from people who don't see themselves as part of that, it can feel kind of intimidating like, oh, do I have to turn my life upside down and start practicing yoga in order to become a meditator? Yeah. So that was one thing um, that came up. And the other thing that Kim really struggles with is, you know, how do you meditate correctly? and. So so for people yeah. who are A-type personalities, mm. who are doing everything right, and I hear this a lot too from you know, people in my community, it's like, well, I'm not a very good meditator. <laughs> it's like, well, what I does know. that mean exactly, right? Because everyone just feels like they're supposed to be able to empty their mind, and when they can't, then they feel like they're failing. So right. I'm just wondering if you can kind of comment on either or both of those um, observations or questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm definitely not, I'm not an expert, I'm not a googie of meditation, yeah. but um, <laughs> after eight and a half years of practicing, I could tell you that I probably have gone maybe a millisecond without a thought in my mind, and that's like a collective, I don't even know how many thousands of hours of meditation that is over eight years, um, but... It's usually like my, like, if I have that moment of stillness, usually the first thought I have is like, I'm not thinking, and then I'm thinking again. So, okay. <laughs> so it's, there's no, there's absolutely no right way to meditate. And in, in saying that, there's absolutely no wrong way. I mean, I'd say a wrong way. I once gave my father, like, back in his, you know, before he had his own health scare, a meditation CD. And he's like, oh, great, I'll listen to it on my way to work. Like that would be a wrong way to meditate, you know, to put <laughs> yeah. a CD in while you're driving through rush hour traffic. But mm-hmm. if you can just sit for two minutes, start at two minutes, start at five minutes, start at ten, like ten minutes, and just sit consciously without an iPhone in your hand, without your computer on, without a television on, without doing anything or going anywhere – that is meditating. And, you know, I know your daughter met met our teacher Mm -hmm. as well. And children can do it. And and children can do it simply by repeating words in their head. And whether it's, you know, you just want to repeat the word love, that is meditation. Or walking can be a meditation, just focusing on your feet, hitting the ground. And, And, you know, so there is no right or wrong way. And usually the people who say, I can't meditate. I'm not that kind of person, or I'm the worst meditator in the world. Are the ones who need to keep practicing the most? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's impossible. It's Im- to say you can't meditate is like to say you can't breathe or you can't close your eyes or, or yeah. you know any of those things and. And so it's really just that ongoing practice and it might be just listening to people speak about it and listening to the people who are teaching it um, and understanding that there really isn't any right or wrong way and to hear their words and understand, you know, the value it, it can lend to your life, to your mental, emotional, um, psycho-spiritual life and and to know that, um, you know, the way we live right now, um, it's not about needing to be upside down or to, you know, have your incense burning and your salt lamp on and your chimes. And <laughs> you don't need any of those things. The way we're living right now, we are so a 1,000% connected during every waking hour. Uh, it becomes even more critical, like, as our environment, as our world becomes more and more technologically reliant and, you know, from our foods, the foods we're eating are technical experiments for most, in most cases <laughs> to, you know, the devices yeah. we're using all the time, it becomes more critical to bring back some of these traditional practices. And, and there's like this massive trend, you know, everything sort of starts in the West Coast and, and, and sort of lands in sort of the New York area and then trickles out. But, you know, there's these groups in, in New York that will meet first thing Monday mornings before they start their work week, and they're you know in design firms and ad agencies and architects, and they're all in their black fancy pants clothes, and they're meeting to meditate before they start their week it's mm. not It's not a hippie practice anymore maybe it never yeah. was maybe they already <laughs> already al, already knew what was happening, but um, it's just what is needed for to function in in the way our world is right now,
0: yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we've been talking a lot about over the past uh, few weeks is kind of morning routines, and you've, you know, hinted obviously that um, meditation is part of your morning routine, but I'm curious to hear, you know, what else do you do to kind of set the tone for your day? What would be some of your, your, not just your advice, but I'm just curious to hear,
1: you know, what does Megan's morning look like? (laughs) If honestly, like it's every morning, I kind of have to choose what I want to do. If I had, if it was up to me, my morning routine would probably take like five to six hours. So, seriously, like, we have what we yeah, call Yeah, no, weekend, I can totally like,
0: relate. <laughs>
1: yeah, we have, like, our spa days on the weekend. And we, we a couple years ago, we decided to buy a, an infrared sauna, which we have mm-hmm. in our tiny apartment. Because I'm just like, we have, it's a two-bedroom apartment. Neither of us are working from home anymore. And we have this empty room. Let's put a sauna in it. And Josh thought I was, my husband thought I was crazy. And I was like, no, trust me. Um <laughs> And we got a sauna. So a perfect morning for me, I, I usually get up around 6.15, and I do about a half-hour yoga practice just to move my body around. And then we'll spend I, ideally about 20 minutes in the sauna. That's like my winter routine. Mm, um nice. And, you know, do some dry brushing, and we always sit down and have breakfast together. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of, you know, I I sometimes will read the news, sometimes it hurts my heart too much, but we just have a conversation yeah. <laughs> and and just we have breakfast and, and that's sort of like my typical work week morning on the weekends, um and, and there's meditation in that I meditate in the sauna. Um mm-hmm. during on the weekends we do like a full I do like a full twenty minute meditation we do yoga we take a sauna we are really big into enemas in our family of two um so whether it's a water enema or coffee enema coffee enemas are really powerful for sort of um Well, they're blood cleansing, but they're incredibly nourishing to the nervous system. So uh, very opposite effect from when you're drinking coffee in your mouth, from when you're taking it up the tissue, which is probably like TMI for way too many people, but never (laughs) knock it till you try it. But those are just some of our morning practices that that, that do set the tone for the day because if we can't take care of ourselves first, um, it's going to be really hard to to take care of all the people that we take care of and the work that we do, and you know, and you know, right now we don't have children, and I appreciate that. You know, people who have children are like, "Oh, you get to do a half hour yoga and sit in the sauna. How nice for you!" I appreciate that's not realistic for for a lot of people given their situations. Um, for now this is our reality and we call this the good old days and we're making the most of it but you know we've also talked about what happens when we do have a family and how we're going to organize that and who's going to be responsible for what and how do we each ensure that we still have that time to care for ourselves and and how we can pitch in so that we can each continue to do that so that again we can give our best selves to each other and to the to the world and the work that we do.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that'll be a whole other gift you can give to the world, (laughs) you know, when you get to that phase of your life and you can share with people, you know, how how you manage that and how some of your plans have, you know, helped to make that a more conscious process because I think for a lot of people, you know, we don't prepare for these things ahead of time, and everyone thinks about you know the pregnancy and the labor, and it's really the the after stuff that that people need to be planning
1: for. It's that's exactly interesting. That. All I think you know, about, I think that like the nausea <laughs> and the diapers, like that's what I think about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I mean, I've definitely not been in labor, but I've had some pretty awful things happen in my body and really painful, terrifying things. That's yeah. I, I can get through that stuff. It's it's the lifestyle change for me that is is what I think about the most.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's a good thing, and I'm glad you're modeling that for people because. Yeah, I think the average person doesn't think that much about how much it changes, you know, your freedom and your self-care. And yeah. and then it becomes a real big shock. And if you're not prepared for it or you don't plan for it, then I think it becomes um, a real challenge and it can be, become one of those vicious cycles that we were talking about earlier, you know, when you're mm-hmm. you're, set, you're stressed and then you reach for the coffee and the sugar and it just becomes a self perpetuating yeah. cycle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, the next thing I wanted to ask you was just, you know, it seems uh from an outsider's view anyway that you just get like a shitloads amount
1: of work done and yet you still have
0: time to rest and play so we want to know like
1: what's your secret <laughs> Well, I I actually don't ever rest and play. Once a day, I'll just pose for a photo where I'm having fun (laughs) and put that on social media so it looks like my life is perfectly balanced. Uh, (laughs) Like, doesn't everyone do that? No, I I mean, I do. I work a lot. Um, I also have, you know, an amazing team now, which helps too. So for a long time, I was by myself, but I now have, you know, a team that that helps me to execute what we dream up in the day, which which is, you know, I wouldn't be able to do what I do with out that assistance, and I think for people with a small business, um, there comes a point where you have to recognize that, that you can only do so much, and if you want to create and achieve what you need to achieve, you might need to uh, um, bring on help, and asking for help for me is a really hard thing to do, and that's what's helped me to create the business that I have and do everything that I do and I'm, you know, blessed to be able to work with such fantastic people. It's also a blessing of having your own business. You get to choose who you want to work with. Yeah. But um <laughs> so there's that component and we just make a point of um we don't we don't buy a lot of things, um, and instead we work our tails off when we're working and then take holidays a lot. And that was sort of the decision that, that we made. So last winter, um we did what we called a pre-tirement. We sublet our apartment and and uh, moved to L.A. We went to California for two months and then to Bali for two months and worked remotely from there and, and worked, obviously, sh- much shorter hours. But we still focused and did what we needed to do and then went out and played. And mm-hmm. we travel a lot, and I try and um, spend take a lot of time off in the summer. And I've sort of built a business that is seasonal to support the way that that I want to work and the way that I want to live because they're both equally important to me. I love my work and I love my free time. I love going paddle boarding and I love going to beaches and I love surfing and going to yoga and going to Pilates and seeing my friends and cooking. And so to to make all those things happen, some things have to give. And what I gave up was – the i gave up the security of having a regular paycheck and i i gave up going <laughs> i don't do things out of obligation i don't see people because i feel like i have to i see people because i really truly want to so those events are mm-hmm. are nourishing and fueling as opposed to draining and and i don't take on work commitments that i don't want to do you know i have colleagues who will go and and do a different event every night at a different health food store, do different talks all the time and I just chose not to have that as part of my business because those those kinds of things um take a lot of my energy and are really hard for me and and so I've just sort of learned to say no to what isn't serving me or isn't necessarily even better serving my community and to which makes time for me to say yes to the stuff I really want And it was Mm -hmm. funny because we were following this account. We followed this account. I can't remember what it's called on Instagram, but it's like the Daily Planet. It's not Daily Planet. That's uh, something else. But it's a planet something. And Mm -hmm. there's these photos of these amazing places in the world. And my husband said to me the other day, he's like, I feel like this makes you just want to, like, sell everything we own and just travel the world. And I was like, we don't own anything. We have a 98 (laughs) Volvo and we rent a tiny two-bedroom apartment. Like, if you want to do that, done. Let's go. (laughs) idea that like we have that freedom that that we can and that's just the choice choice we made in 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 all of our choices and the work that we do and and how we live each day and the commitments we make and who we hang out with and and so mm-hmm. it's just enabled us to yeah accomplish a lot with our work and and keep our personal lives and our our health and balance
0: yeah, I love that. And I feel like, you know, we can have a whole other conversation one day just about those two things, um, you know, that you mentioned, which is basically values and boundaries, you know, just yeah. deciding what your values are as an individual and as a couple and then organizing your life around those values. Because people often say, you know, something's really important to them, but when you look at their time and their money and how they're kind of spending and organizing their life, it's not really reflecting those values, right? So getting really yeah. conscious about them, I think, is a big deal. And then the other one that you mentioned, you know, is the boundary thing, like not doing things that are... Of obligation, you know, um, you know, really sticking to those values and, um, and honoring our, our own kind of inner wisdom
1: yeah. around it's, what is going to serve
0: us and what's going to serve others.
1: Yeah. And you see, you like, you see those articles going around about like, you know, top 10 regrets of people on their deathbed. And I kind of think like, if I were, if like this were my last day or if something happened and tomorrow mm-hmm. I was going to be, you know, done, Would I be thinking, gosh, I really wish I'd done more events at health food stores? Probably (laughs) not. But would I wish that I had taken that trip to Costa Rica for two weeks? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's something I want (laughs) to do.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So we've heard you mention that your business is shifting a little bit over the coming year. So I'm wondering yes. if you can just tell our listeners you know, where they can find you and what you're going to be up to and
1: how they yes. can get more of you and what they can expect. Yeah, so fun. So, I mean, I've been a nutritionist for eight years, seven years, eight years, I don't know, a, a while. And I've been doing this work for a long time. And the, the climate around nutrition has changed a lot. It's getting... A, in the same way more simplified, also more complicated. There's more people, more experts, more quote, diets out there. And I don't want to be part of the problem. Um mm-hmm. I don't want to be part of the do this and don't do that and I have to eat this and I have to eat that. And you have to get this much grams of this and and I just see how stressed people are becoming um about food and and my attitude has always been you know tune in and eat what feels right for you what works for you live for your age for the climate you're in for the budgets you have um make time for it for sure but like let's look at the big picture of our lives and how we can live happier healthier more whole lives And so that's where a lot of my work is going because that's where my life is going. That I'm starting to be like, okay, I've got the diet thing. I know what I need to eat. I know that, you know, my diet is going to keep changing. So let's leave those labels for the tin cans. So I first started out, it was sort of a test project, which we called the Awesome Life Detox. Which is a simple ten day challenge where every day you look at a different part of your life from we look at our attitudes, we look at finances, relationships, our work, um, the space we create and all those little things and they're little challenges each day, and we've we've been running it since the start of January in an explosive, amazing response from the participants we've had. Um and so I'm shifting towards doing more work um and helping people really cultivate a total life almost like the the awesome life coach so we deal with health and relationships but also business coaching, and and not just people who want to start their own businesses, but how you can be really effective in the in the role that you have, no matter what your work is, whether you're a stay at home mom or, you know, a a brand manager or you know whatever job you have, but really looking at at health from a complete total lifestyle perspective. Um, and with that, I also have my school, the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, which is at culinarynutrition.com, and with that, we are training people how to share the base knowledge about food in a very non-judgmental, um, practical way, um, and then I have my cookbook coming out, the Diet Cookbook, which, again, is about how to eat really good food, why it makes sense to do it for your whole life. But the book also gives tips on how to share the lifestyle with others, how to entertain in a way that is sustainable and works with your values, and, and how to menu plan. And, and there's a whole chapter on natural beauty care. So it really is a full lifestyle program. And so that's that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm really excited about doing, and, and diving deeper into that area. And all my all the stuff I'm creating is at megantelpner.com, and my school is at culinarynutrition.com, and I'm across all the social media platforms at megantelpner, and that's that's where you find me and find out what we're ha- what we're doing. And one of the really cool things I'm I'm working on is a bit of a cross continent. Um, tour where instead of having these big events and sitting in stores signing books, I'm actually doing these more intimate meetup dinners where we can actually connect to the community, fifteen or to twenty of us, have a beautiful meal together, have great conversations and, and sort of really bring that back into its core, which is connecting with each other in a positive way.
0: Oh, I love it. What a beautiful idea.
1: Fantastic. Well,
0: thank you so much for joining us, Megan. This has been such a delight to uh, pick your brain and, and, uh, yeah, just chat about some of these really big shifts that, you know, we're seeing, you know, in our culture and that, um, you know, you're paving the way for, for a lot of great things ahead. I can see that and it's just so needed. So thank you for sharing all of your fabulous wisdom and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope that those who are listening are ready to live a more awesome life. All right. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you, Amy, (laughs) so
1: much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening
0: to Red Tent Sisters, the podcast. We're Kim and Amy Sedgwick, co-founders of Red Tent Sisters, a business dedicated to providing holistic fertility, sexuality, and contraceptive solutions. If you have something you'd like to share about this week's topic, we invite you to join the conversation on our Facebook page. Or if you have a question you'd like to hear addressed on the show or have an expert you'd like to see interviewed here, please send us an email at bestsisters at redtensisters.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Red Ten Sisters, the podcast, for more great tips on how to resolve your feminine concerns and live a vibrant, passionate life naturally. Thanks for listening.